So this evening, I would like to look at uh, creative engagement. And in a way, the, the opposite of creative engagement, what I would call grasping. And, and in a way to see, because I think meditation can really, with awareness meditation, we can really start to see, I think this is what it kind of enables us to see, the, the, the moment of contact. Because this is in a way where kind of grasping happens at the moment of contact. We come into contact with something. And then generally you have contact and you have feeling. And so in a way it's kind of like at that point, I think the meditation really helps us to, to see that when there is a moment of contact, often, in a way, there is an opportunity to grasp or an opportunity to creatively engage. And so it's kind of, in a way, kind of becoming more and more, more, and more aware of that. And in a way, it's like we nearly have like a sticky quality. It's a bit like Velcro. You know, we have... Um, it's like... We, we, we kind of, whatever we come into contact with just seems to stick to us. It's kind of like Velcro. It's kind of like, you know, there is this kind of like uh, sticky quality to our experience. And I think, in a way, what we try to, to develop in, uh, in meditation is this non-grasping, which then would enable us to encounter to engage with the world in a different way, so that there is not this immediate grasping, clinging, sticking. And in a way, we kind of, kind of try to can encounter things, sounds, words, whatever it is, in a different way. If you think of maybe a word somebody said to you, or something that happened, you know, at the office, Somebody said something and really, you know, they, they said this and really, you know, it was not good and really, they always do this and if only they are not there, you know, really it would be... And you go round and round. I mean, it lasted about, I don't know, 10 minutes. And, you know, the whole afternoon, you think about it while you work. You go home, you think about it. You are home, you do the... You cook, you think about it, you are with your wife, children, whoever, you think about it, you go to bed, you think about it. But the person has not asked to be in your head. You have the feeling that they're imposing themselves on you. But they have not done anything. I mean, they've done something in the afternoon at 2 o'clock, but that was that. And so in a way with the grasping, we kind of we keep keep the person with us and it's so kind of it's generally relatively unpleasant. So in a way it's looking at that grasping, what happened. So this will be kind of my party tricks for the week. Okay, let's say this is precious to me. It's gold, it's diamond. Oh, it's the greatest truth in the universe. And I have got it. So I hold on to it. So my hand is around it because it's mine. I want to, 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 to keep it. You know, I might you know, show it to you, but it's mine. You know? I like it, you know. So I hold on to it. And if you hold on to anything with your hand in this clasping manner, any length of time, what happens? Two things. The first thing is that I get a cramp in the arm. <laughs> and this often what happens. I would say generally if we feel tension, is because we grasp at something. But something even worse is happening. And to me this is much more problematic. Is a fact that if I grasp at this object with my hand, I cannot use my hand for anything else. So in a way, I am reduced to what I am grasping at. And I think often we think that grasping is going to give us things. 
when actually I think grasping is limiting us. So then, what is the solution? I mean, one solution could be to cut the hand, and then there is no grasping. But that, I think, is a little drastic, you know? That's a bit the ascetic way. Next thing, next clever move, is to get rid of the object. But the object is not saying, come, 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 you really want me, don't you? I mean, you have the feeling when you go, you know, in the high street and your favorite shop window, you have the feeling like it's saying, come, you really want me. Yes, yes, yes. Nothing to do with you. It's an object, you know. It's doing everything. I mean, the object does not do anything. It's just arise out of the condition that formed it. So getting rid of the object, I think, is not the solution either. And to me, what we're doing in meditation, and what I call the effect, the releasing, is actually slowly, slowly, slowly opening our hands. So then our hands open, and then the thing can rest upon our hands with freedom. I can move it, I can put it back. And then there is choices. There is not this fixation, this limitation. So I think it's important to see that this process of grasping, in a way, there is this process that if I grasp together, it's stuck together, identifying. When I grasp, I identify. The two go together. But then if I grasp and identify, I, me, mine, I solidify myself around what I grasp at. Then I isolate myself with what I grasp at. And then, this is what is most problematic, I magnify what I grasp at, and then I am overwhelmed. When we have a problem, and we grasp at the problem, it's not just the problem which happened because of certain conditions, but it's this amazing problem which will last forever after, and it's too much. And so in a way, to see that when we grasp, actually we limit ourselves, and we reduce the opportunity for our creative potential to manifest. That's what we do. And that's what it's so painful when we grasp at something. We limit ourselves to what we grasp at. And in a way, what we have to see is that with the grasping comes two sidelines. And one sideline, you can know you grasp because generally you proliferate. Let's an example. We have these beautiful flowers. I love camellia. In France, we have no cam- not, not where I am, there is no camellia because the soil is not right. I'm a gardener. I said, ooh, lovely camellia, ooh, the pink, ooh, the shape. And you can just stay there. I mean, you can creatively engage with the camellia, which I'm sure you have all done during these three days. And also the trees in the garden, all these camellias. (sighs) Nice. Just being with the beauty of it. But what do we do? I see the camellia, hmm. I like this camellia. Would not it be nice to have the same camellia in my garden? Could I get it in that garden center? Yes, maybe. You know, I come back on Wednesday, possibly on Friday I could go there. And then I am not with the beauty of the camellia anymore. I am somewhere else in abstraction. And so in a way to see when we grasp, generally there is proliferation and there is abstraction from really what is going on now. To me, this is a difference between, in a way, grasping and creative engagement. Grasping, we go off into abstraction, creative engagement. We engage fully with the whole thing of what is in the condition here and now. But another thing, which I think is also even more problematic when we grasp is only when we grasp we exaggerate we have this tendency to generalize 
all this kind of forecasting that we do. And so if something is difficult or something is ugly, it's horrible. It's not just, you know, ugly or unpleasant. or No, 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 it's the worst thing in the whole universe. And it was always there and it will always be there. See how it's so easy to do that. Once I was uh, phone a friend and I said, oh, how are you? She said, it's terrible. Everything is terrible. Everything is always terrible. My life is awful. I said, what happened? Nothing happened. My life is always horrible. And so for 10 minutes, we had this kind of back and forth. And finally she said, yes, something happened yesterday. I am very upset about it. And then once she kind of, we had the conditions then we could creatively engage with what possibly we, she could do about this and how to look at it and whatever. And then a creative potential could be accessed. But as long as she said, this is horrible, this is the most... It, it could not. She could not address the thing itself. It's kind of like straight away, we make it contaminate the whole of our experience. Instead of seeing... Yes, here I have a difficulty, but this is not just all there is to my life. My life is more multidimensional than that. <clears throat> then, there is another thing which we have to see with grasping, is that grasping positively, I want something because I like it, has the same effect as if we reject something. Just like the person who said something at the office. You, you kept the person in your head the whole time because actually you reject the person. And by rejecting the person, grasping negatively at the person, actually you are magnifying the importance of the person. So I think it's very important to see we do it in both ways. I want something, isn't it amazing? I dislike something, isn't it awful? We, the same kind of magnifying process happens. So to see it's not just like positive desire, it's also what we reject. The same thing happens. So what I thought I would do this uh, evening about this grasping and creative engagement is looking in the different facets of our life, how we grasp or how we could creatively engage. And the first thing that we come in contact with, that we encounter, is ourselves. Do we grasp at ourselves or do we creatively engage with the condition that form ourselves? Because often we feel very fixed, very isolated. And I think what the meditation helps us to see is that we are a flow of condition, a flow of inner condition meeting outer conditions. And often what happens is that we kind of um, start to grasp and reduce ourselves to one of the conditions that forms us. So, And then we feel it's generally quite painful because we kind of we reduce, this is very important to see, we grasp, we reduce to often just one thing. And for example, for ourselves, in terms of our condition, you have our physical condition. And you might possibly have experienced this during this time with, with us, especially in the sitting, possibly. You might have had some uh, painful sensation. And that's a question, can I creatively engage with the painful sensation or do I reduce my whole experience to just this sensation, my pain in the knee? How does it feel? Generally, it's, oh, pain in the knee, my pain in the knee, my knee, it's going to fall off. I will never walk again. <laughs> and it's interesting to actually, when you don't do this, just you go Inside the sensation, it's still there. But we did not add anything to it. We don't magnify, we don't proliferate. Okay, there is a pain in the knee. 
then we can move or we can choose to sit on a chair or possibly miss a sitting and lie down if it's really, really horrible. So in a way, it's kind of like, how can I, what is it? If I grasp, what do, why do I add? And if I creatively engage, generally there is more space, there is more choice, there is more possibility. And I think we can do this with illness. That when we have illness, it's kind of like, we reduce our, our sense of ourselves to the illness. That you have sciatica like myself or like you have uh, whatever illness one has. And I know for myself for a while, I had this very, I would have these bouts of pain, very painful. And I would, ah, you know, and I would take lots of painkillers and wait for it to go. And actually I was quite tense around it. And my fear was if I traveled for teaching and I got it in the airplane, I would be, it would be like just unbearable. Then once that happened, I just got on the airplane and it started to happen. And then the creative engagement fortunately kicked in and said, okay, try to be with it in a spacious way. Don't identify, don't grasp, just be with it. And what was interesting when I did this, it made such difference. I mean, it was there, but there was not that contraction. There was not that tension. And actually, I could be with it much better. And I only needed one painkiller instead of eight. It makes such a difference. And so in a way, to see you know, how we can reduce ourselves to just kind of a physical sensation. Or we can reduce ourselves, and this is even smaller, to a thought. You know, we have a thought, and if you identify with the thought, you just, I mean, you can even paralyze yourself with a thought. I remember once I was having trouble, difficulty in France with paperwork, kind of bureaucracies, immense in France. And I got there, the papers, and the lady said with a nice smile on her face, Mrs., you have to come again, you know, you don't have enough papers, you have to fill more forms, and I had been two years at this. So I come out, and suddenly I realize I am frozen on the pavement, and people have to walk around me. And I look, and I'm just grasping at, I am hopeless, this is hopeless. And it's just kind of, and just that grasping, just I was like totally reduced to that, Hopelessness. And then I thought, wait a minute. Creatively engaging. I'm not hopeless. I can read. I can write. I can do this form. Now I have a different relationship to bureaucracy. Okay, another form. Let's go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Or we can, in a way, grasp, reduce ourselves. That's also quite painful. An emotional condition. We might have a feeling. You see, I mean, this is being human. We have feeling. Feeling of joy, feeling of sadness, feeling of anger, whatever it is. Feeling arise. But generally, we grasp at the feeling. Anger, and then we proliferate. You know, and go into the story why, yes, I am angry, etc. And we kind of, you know, kind of grasp at it. And I remember my breakthrough, because I had a kind of little habit of anger. Well, I really, in a way, I was angry. And I went inside, instead of going into the story of it. And how right I was to be angry. I went into the whole body. I went inside the feeling itself in the whole body. And I could feel my body shaking. And I said, wait a minute. I am doing this to myself. Nobody is doing this to me. And just seeing it, it just went. And then I looked into my mind. What was I grasping in my mind? And I was grasping, I am right. She is wrong. I am right. She is wrong. And then I saw that she must be doing the same, but in the opposite way. (laughs) And it just opened up. I thought, Come on, you know, we both right and wrong within the situation, within the condition. So in a way, to be careful, you see, if you grasp, you see, the thing is that the three are very connected, all the different conditions are connected. So you grasp at the feeling, 
And then you kind of go into the whole proliferation of it. Or you might have fear. One of the things I do with my niece in France, she's now 10 years old, we've been doing this for the last five years, is climbing and jumping in trees. It's a new thing you have. You kind of do like a thousand course. You know, you, you, I mean, you're all attached, but you kind of go up and jump and do all kinds of things. Very nice. And the first time we went, she was so afraid. <gasps> so finally I thought, okay, let's go and do something easy. So we do a little course where you just walk on plank. I mean, moves a bit, and it goes higher and higher, but, you know, nothing much happened. So we go higher and higher, you know, and we're in the middle of it, 10 meter high, you know, in the middle of the tree. And she said, Auntie, I'm too much afraid. I want to get down. And we're in the middle, you know, so I kind of coax her, told her to be aware and, you know, all the things that, you know, and it works. You know, I managed to get her back down. And so we walk and she said to me, Auntie, I was so frightened. How come you were not afraid? You know, like she was grasping at the fear and the feeling of fear proliferating madly with it. And I was just there like, you know, it's a walk in the wood. And I said, but look, we are safe the whole time. Look, you know, we are, there is this thing which holds us to this cable here. We are totally safe. She said, ah. And she went to the monitor and she said, is it true that we're safe with this thing? And he said, yeah, yeah. She said, okay. So she goes up the next course, she jumps out and she tangles and she said, yeah, that's true. And off she goes. <laughs> and to me it was very interesting how one moment she was in a way totally grasping at the feeling. And once she understood, she could then creatively engage with it in a very different way. She was very different with her experience. So in a way, for us to see, do I have a kind of a tendency to, to grasp in that way? Also, we can grasp at a quality. This is interesting. And sometimes this can happen when we do meditation. I mean, meditation is very spiritual, very saintly, you know, very all this romantic idea. Yes, I am spiritual. You know, I am a good person. <laughs> and then, you know, what is interesting, and then you go back to your family. And I remember many years ago going on a holiday to, to stay with my mother. And she wanted to invite people for drinks and things. And I was like, oh, you know, pff, not really. Uh, and she said, oh, you Buddhist, you know, you're really not friendly. <laughs> I said, oh, I am a Buddhist, I am a nice person, I am compassionate. <laughs> but not friendly enough to have drinks with anybody anytime, obviously. But it was interesting, you know, this feeling that, you know, you might feel, oh, yes, you know, I am good or I am bad. Because sometimes we, we grasp at this idea we're always good, when actually we're good according very much to condition. And if we cultivate the condition to be kind of a kind and compassionate and all that. But it's the same with bad. When we grasp at this, I am bad. I made a mistake. I am stupid. I am always like this. I always make mistakes. Again, we're grasping at a quality, saying I am always like this. When actually, we, make, we all make mistakes. But we don't make mistakes all the time. Generally, things happen for us to make mistakes. So in a way to see, in a way, if you, if you grasp at it, you fix yourself. If you creatively engage, you kind of look, what are the conditions in which this quality arose? And how can I, in a way, creatively respond, creatively engage with it? And I think something that sometimes we do, which can be very painful, is when we grasp at self and what I call self-pity. This is very painful and oddly enjoyable. This is what is strange. And, 
And it's kind of like, we kind of like the assumption we often with self-pity is that we're the center of the universe and the center universe is not doing what we want it to do. Often that's what happens, although there are also other conditions to feel that way. But let's imagine you are waiting for somebody. Hmm. Nine o'clock. Hmm. They're not there. Hmm. Ten past nine. They don't love me. nobody loves me 9.30 I hate the world and what we do here is this kind of grasping grasping at this poor me, poor me instead of maybe the person you know for whatever reason wants somebody uh, I was waiting for them they're not here, that's strange And instead of going into the whole thing, I thought, okay, I'll phone them. And I phoned, she said, oh, I thought it was next week. (laughs) So in a way, to to be careful of that kind of, you know, grasping so quickly, in a way, I just kind of like, as soon as you grasp, you'll have the exaggeration, the proliferation, and then you can't creatively engage with what is going on. Then, another thing, there is, we can look at, is grasping or creatively engaging in relationship with partners, with children, with friends, family. And what do we do? Again, it's interesting. You know, what do we do when we are in, in contact with someone, when we love them? Because often on the spiritual path, there is what I would call the myth of detachment, the myth of non-attachment. I think this is a very dangerous idea. When I talk of non-grasping, that's why I don't call it non-grasping, I call it creative engagement. Because I think there is a lot of problem with this idea of non-attachment. I read a wonderful article once about this, in a Buddhist magazine, about this woman who had all these Buddhist boyfriends who were terribly detached. <laughs> I mean, they still wanted to have sex with her, but they were very detached otherwise. You know? Interesting dilemma there. But in a way, to be careful, to, to we, we need, in a way, to, to love others and to feel the love of others. We, we alone but with others. So in a way, I think it's important to see that the fact that we don't grasp doesn't mean we don't love. I think it's very important that, in a way, there is this, what I call creative love, creative engaged love which then, in a way, doesn't grasp, doesn't fix, doesn't tighten. Because often what we do, and this is interesting to look in relationship, we might grasp at the person, or we might grasp at the feeling the person is creating within us, or we might grasp at the idea that the person, we we depend, our life depends on that person loving us. And I think it's kind of interesting to see what is it I, I grasp at. I remember when I first got married with my husband, after having been uh, 10 years a nun, and then I stopped being a nun, and then I married my husband. And for the first six months, I would stick to him. But literally, I would stick to him at the table, on the sofa, I would stick to him. <laughs> and then he started to feel crowded. <laughs> The poor thing. And so I kind of thought, oh, wait a minute. What is going on here? What am I doing? You know, I mean, it's not helpful. And that's why I kind of thought, what I saw is that by sticking to him, actually I did not develop all the relationship. And I think that's really important when we, we, we grasp, we generally reduce ourselves. And once I saw it and I stopped doing it and went more into creative engagement, then we continue to have to love each other, but then there was much more vista, and I could be friends with other people, and I could kind of develop my other relationship, other friendliness, etc. And so, in a way, to see what we do, this kind of what we when we grasp, often we reduce. And I would say that actually, love is uh, is nurtured by this creative engagement. Because then it's kind of like this caring, this appreciation, this influence, this love. 
Because often I think what happens is what I would call conditioned love. I love you, but if you stop doing this, then really I will love you. I find that, you know, we generally kind of love with little kind of condition. But to me, the greatest gift of love is to really totally love the person and accept the whole bit. And from that, then you can talk about what is difficult. But if you start by, I will only, I will only love you once, you got rid of this, you always do that. How does it feel when somebody does the same to us? I love you, but you feel like there is a little bit which is kind of, you have to hide or you have to put somewhere else. When in, in a way you totally accept and then you creatively engage. Then you can see what is a difficulty, what is a problem. I remember one thing we used to have with my husband was little kind of a tension, irritation in in the airport, you know, because uh, it's always a little tense traveling. But what I noticed is that I would go faster and he would go slower when there was an emergency in traveling. And I thought he does it on purpose to annoy me until I realized, no, it was his survival mechanism. When thing gets difficult, is slow down. When things get difficult, I, I kind of go faster. It's just we have a different mode of relating to this condition. And once I saw it was not personal, I did not grasp at it, did not identify, now we just laugh. We can kind of, you know, problem arise and we look at each other and then, you know, it goes like this, I go like this, and we kind of, you know, come to a middle way, not too fast, not too slow, kind of playing with it in a way, creatively engaging. And so in a way to look, you know, in our kind of, you know, in, in uh, how do we relate? And when is it that we grasp, we fix, we limit? And when is it that we creatively engage and something more can grow from that in our relationship? Then another thing, we can grasp at is things, things. We, and it's interesting things because this is something you really can work with in your daily life, meditation and daily life. Things, uh, especially, I mean, now in this modern society where now it's a big problem, we are not, cons- we are not kind of uh, buying things anymore. This is kind of uh, problematic. And, uh, but it's very interesting to... to you know, just going to the supermarket, just going to the high street, just looking at shops. You can meditate all the time. And look, what do I do? What? Ooh, I want this. You know? And this grasping. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, how we do, what we do, what we kind of, in a way, what happens with this grasping is often there is this exaggeration. There is a glow around the thing we want. And what is interesting, once we buy the thing, the glow goes, you know? It's kind of like... And then there is one thing which is interesting, is grasping at newness. You know, that's when something is new, and this is a problem in a way, you know, you, you see it and it has this amazing glow. Wow! You know, I want that, I need this. So you buy it, but then it's not new anymore. I mean, it, maybe for two, three days, it kind of looked newish. And then, you know, it kind of, it's gone. I had this experience with our house in, in France when we kind of had it renovated our flat. And so I go there and it's all renovated, all painted. You know, it's really, one could say, relatively beautiful, nice, everything. And then I look. And there was all these marks, like there is some problem, humidity problem. And I thought, ah, impermanence. <laughs> and then I go in the kitchen and I open a, a cupboard and then the, 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 the door falls on me. And I think, ooh, impermanence. <laughs> the newness really did not last very long. <laughs> but if we grasp at the newness, and we all, in a way, constantly kind of trying to find something new. Because as soon as we got it, 
ego, the newness goes and the next new thing, the next new thing, and then it can be kind of quite tiring. Or sometimes what is interesting to look at is grasping at the hope at what the thing we're going to get is going to give us. So it's kind of, it's kind of like nearly a kind of a double grasping. You're grasping at the thing itself, plus you're also grasping at the hope you invest in the thing you're going to get, because once you get that, you will surely be happy. It's kind of generally the, the kind of what is kind of uh, there. And I remember with my first book, it was so striking. I was waiting, this book, this book is going to come, you know, in the post, my first book, you know, wow, wow. There was like, oh. Like, you know, once I get it, I mean, my happiness is going to be really something. So I uh, finally, finally, one morning, the books arrive. The book arrive. I open it. I look at the cover. I look at the back. It lasted about 30 seconds. <laughs> then I still had to eat my toast. Then I still had to go to the bathroom. Then I still had to whatever. Life, I mean, it was nice. But it did not change my life dramatically, <laughs> moment to moment. I think, you know, it's, it's to see that when we grasp, we magnify. And then we also magnify all the feeling we have around the thing that we grasp at. So in a way, to try to see, to me, in creative engagement with things, there is also looking, and this is a difficult one, what is it I need what is it I want? Because that, I think, is really kind of like, in a way, the, nearly the problem of modernity. I mean, I remember a few years back, living for two months in America, in California, and going to the supermarket there just to buy some apple juice. I just wanted apple juice, not too sour. That was all I wanted. I spent half an hour, because there was this huge aisle. I mean, it was like, not like here in Europe, when at least I only have generally to choose from five. There was 20, 30, two line. And I kind of, I was like, you know, I had to check. I started to check each one until I realized, no, that's not the way to go about it. You'd spend your whole life, you know, in this kind of environment. And I just want apple juice. So after that, I kind of quickly went one and off I go but to see in a way what is it I need what is it I want this is kind of an interesting thing especially nowadays to creatively engage with also of course in terms of ecology there is this wonderful story with Achan Cha who was a great Thai monk and master and on the table he had this beautiful glass very beautiful glass and he said, look, you know, there is this beautiful glass. I can use it. I can drink from it. I can admire it. But when I use it, I know that it is already broken. So I creatively engage with it by knowing it's impermanent. That there is no point in grasping at it. The only thing I can do is use it skillfully, appropriately. And then, who knows, one day he might lose it, it might break. And then that stops this kind of like, again, this identification, me, mind. There is a glass, I can use it. Then there is something we do which is interesting and a little related to what Caroline was talking about yesterday, about speech, why speech. It's what I would call grasping or creative engagement with words. I mean, words, what are words? They're just a little, just a little sonorous waves. They just, they're gone. They're really empty. And what is amazing is that we grasp at words and we keep them and we can take them out time to time. He said this, she said this. Wasn't it horrible? True, true, true. Painful, painful. What I mean, it just, I mean, some time ago I had a friend who came to see me 
And she looked a little worried. I said, what's the matter? She said, oh, you know, my husband, he, he says nasty things to me. I said, really? You know, I said, I mean, you know. And I said, but, I mean, does he do it often? Like, you know, once a day, once a week? No, 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 you know, just time to time, you know. And he said something about washing, you know, washing clothes. And it was so painful, you know, that whenever I go and wash the clothes now, I'm so upset. And I said, when did he say it? Last week? She said, no, 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 he said it a year ago. <laughs> so for a year, she'd been grasping at these words and being upset. When possibly it would have been more useful to creatively engage with them there and then. You know, talking possibly with the husband or working it out or doing something around it instead of kind of like keeping them in that way. And often we do this and it's so painful. <laughs> then also to look at how we grasp at the word we use inside our inner language, as Caroline was mentioning. And actually seeing if we can soften it. I must, it should be. And kind of see, can I soften it? And also to see how there is some words, we just stick to them. We just, it's kind of, they have this amazing effect. One of them is unfair. As soon as you have unfair in your mind, this is unfair. I remember kind of going in my kitchen saying to my husband, this is unfair. And him looking at me, is the a, is a world a fair place? You know, all the time? Of course not. It's interesting to see how there are some words which as soon as they're in our head, we grasp. And then generally we reduce ourselves to them and then it is rather painful. Also to see how we can be influenced by words. How actually we might be quite fine and we have a friend comes to you, this has happened to me, and they say lots of nasty things about a common friend. And after half an hour, you start to feel, yeah, that person, they're so terrible. They've not done anything to you. <laughs> and it's interesting, and it's the same with the TV. I, sometimes I watch some program on TV, and I find it fascinating, you know, and I have 30 minutes, the guy said, it's like this. And I think, hmm, okay, it's like that. Then the next guy said the opposite. And I think, hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, if we're not careful, of creatively engaging with words, it's kind of like we get swamped in a way. We kind of, you know, if we identify, if we kind of grasp at them. So really to try, again, that's what we're developing here, this stability, this openness. So then when listen to something, we kind of say, okay, is it saying something about me? Is it saying something about them? What is going on here? Then there is, and um, Caroline mentioned it, but... I wanted to, to, to just show a little about views. Views. What are views? Again, just a thought. And a thought is, again, just a little firing in the brain. It's really not much. Just a little electricity. And actually, people will kill for ideas. My theory is better than your theory. And what I think is interesting in daily life is to notice when you start to by having a quite kind of relatively nice, friendly, okay conversation, and when suddenly the tone rise. And generally the tone rise because one of the person is not agreeing with the other. Because generally what we do is we identify with our view, with my idea. So if I have an idea, I have an idea. This is my idea. This is the right idea. This is the only idea. Everybody must believe this. So in a way, two things happen there. One thing is that if you're talking with a friend, if the friend does not agree with you, then actually because you identify with your ideas, then you feel that they're negating you when they're not negating you. They're just thinking maybe this idea is not the best idea in the universe, possibly, you know. And one can have a different idea. And I saw this very clearly long ago when I was living in community. 
And I was so difficult with a group of people who were organizing a retreat and we had to put beds in a room. I mean, fairly innocuous. I bothered them for an hour about this, that I had the better idea, etc., etc. Finally, I could not do it, and so they did it. And so I went to see, because I was sure they were not going to do it as good as me. So I go and look, and it was so much better than my idea. And then I knew my idea were not the best all the time. Time to time, I might have a good one, but that's about it. To me, it was really to see how we... This is a thing with grasping at, at self. There is kind of this, again, this restriction which stops us from opening to others, to open to the world, and to really kind of see. I think, to me, that's what is very important, that when we do this meditation, it's not just about, in a way, feeling better about ourselves. To me, it's very much a creative engagement with them makes it that we look at others, we relate to others, we relate to the world in a different way, with more wisdom, with more compassion. Then there is another thing we grasp at, and this is an interesting one. And this is places. Places. I mean, if you like Gaia House, possibly Gaia House, if you like another place, you know, places. I mean, they're so big. How can you grasp at them? But we still do. I mean, go on holiday, go to a beautiful place, and what do you say? Nice, but it is not like so-and-so. That's what I, used, I did at the beginning when I was in Devon, living in Devon. It's green, it's beautiful, and I'd come from 10 years in Korea. And inside myself, it was constantly... Not bad, but it's not like Korea. <laughs> Until one day, finally, I suddenly opened up to the whole, to that mud. I was walking in the field, and suddenly I opened up to the whole beauty of that moment. And I thought, yeah, it is just as it is. I don't have to compare it to anything else. I don't have to grasp at anything else. Another thing... And this is the last thing. This one, this last one I'm mentioning now, I would say it's the last one that will ever go if it ever does in terms of, of grasping. And this is culture. And this is something, often we have this feeling that the spiritual life, meditation, awakening, is beyond conditions. And to me, this is something that really showed me that actually it is not so. Awakening is about freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. It is not to be beyond condition. And this is the last thing, and I don't think we can do it, is not grasp at culture. And as long as you stay in your country, you don't notice it. Everybody does the same as you. So it's the right way to do things. But when I went to Korea... It was fascinating to see that actually the way I did things was a French way. And the way they did things was a Korean way. And of course they saw theirs was better than mine. But to me what was fascinating is that sometimes I could not do what they told me to do physically. Because actually my culture was embedded in my bone, in my muscle. And even once I had a little girl, six years old, I was washing the clothes. And she said, oh, come on, you really don't know how to do this. Look, you do this. And she kind of tried to show me. And it was so hard for me to do what they did because I had been trained all the time to do it in a different way. And I think this is very important to see that, to see that we are embedded in our culture. And so in a way, to try to, to be careful not to grasp at it, but actually to creatively engage with it, to know, recognize, oh yes, this is the way it is. When I was in Korea and I became a nun, for six months I tried to become Korean. I thought, I am going to be Korean, I am going to be Korean. Yes, yes, yes. After six months, I realized, no way. I am French. I'll never become Korean. 
I love them. It's a wonderful country. And then I decided, you know, I could go 60, 70%. And that was okay. And to me, it was kind of, in a way, recognizing the conditions of culture, but at the same time not being kind of fixed in it, but kind of learning to creatively engage with it. And so I'll finish just with a little story. A story about socks. You might say, what has socks to do with Buddhism or meditation, but it has a lot to do with it. So, in Korea, if you want to awaken or to be a good meditator, a good Buddhist, you wear socks all the time. Otherwise, it's very bad. Okay. <laughs> then you go to Japan. They also do Zen meditation. You go to Japan, and even if it's freezing on the wooden floor, you must not wear socks. If you, if you wear socks, you can never become awakened. Okay. Then I go to Taiwan. And I see sometimes they have socks, and sometimes they have no socks. So I think maybe they've gone into socklessness, you know? <laughs> so I go into the meditation hall without socks. And then I come out, and there is this turner who said, you're a bad girl. You wore, you were, your feet were barefoot. But I said, but, I mean, the other day, I saw the nun without socks. Ah, but that is after four o'clock, after they wash themselves and their feet are pure. This is the only time. So, no, going beyond socks. <laughs> and possibly there is no connection between awakening and socks or no socks. So if there is any questions or comments or whatever. So if there is nothing, please have a walking meditation and then we'll meet again for the last sitting at nine o'clock. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.